Good morning. Our scripture reading today comes from Exodus 2, 11-22. Please follow along with me as I read. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why did you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the prince of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father rule, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered our flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. He gave birth to his son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Patrick. Good morning once again. You guys having a good day? I was actually, when we walked in this morning, I was a little jealous and I mentioned that outside I saw a lot of people drinking their iced coffee from Starbucks and I was like, I should have stopped there, but consequence for not obeying your own flesh, right? (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, we're back at Exodus chapter 2. Uh, it, for me, it is, a, it is a privilege to be able to speak to you this morning. I, I truly enjoy just sitting there and having Pastor David preaching from up here. And I think uh, probably most of you do as well. But I have the privilege to, to do speak of one of my favorite passages. And it is not a Tom Flynn uh, quote from outside from the prayer meeting. It is, it is one of my favorite passages because it reminds me a little bit about who I am. Or maybe who I used to be. And hopefully that is the truth. But Exodus chapter 2 verse 11. uh, As we transition from verse 10 to 11. There's a little thing that. uh, One thing that I want to point out to you. Before we we dive into this text. And it is the point that. Look with me in your Bibles. Verse 10. Once again the ending of uh, Pastor David's message last week. Says this. When the child grew up. And this is a reference to Moses right. When the child grew, grew older. She brought him to Pharaoh's daughters, and, she, and he became her son. So when Moses grew up, his mom brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, because I drew him from the water. Now, if we jump all the way to verse 11, which we're going to do right now in just a second, it's going to say like this. In those days when Moses had grown up, so there seems to be a gap in there. And just think about for a second, Moses is the one who's reflecting back on his own life. He's, he's writing the Pentateuch. He's by the, by, the, by the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He's actually writing and pinning those words down. And he moves from the time when he was a child to the time when he had grown up. Now, there's two very important passages in the New Testament that make reference to Exodus chapter 2 and that shows you and I think it showed all of us 
how important Exodus chapter 2 was in the life of Moses. The first one is Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is going to make a defense about the gospel and he's going to mention directly from Exodus chapter 2. The other one is what I call like the Hall of Fame speech. Um, in Hebrews chapter 11, when the author of Hebrews is going to use Exodus chapter 2 to also show what kind of man Moses was and what God has done through him. Now, look with me, Acts chapter 7, verse 22 to 23. I'll read it. If you want to turn your Bibles there, you can. It says this, Moses was trained in all wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his words and deeds. This is what we learned last week, right? Pastor David made a mention of that. But now, look at, look, look at verse 23. But when Moses was 40 years old, it entered his mind to visit his fellow countrymen, the Israelites. Now, Moses was educated in all wisdom of the Egyptians. The Egyptians actually valued the brain power more than they valued the physical labor. So they would say, and Moses was trained inside of this philosophical school here where values the input of the mind more than they value the callous hands. Now that will make sense in a little bit when we understand the relationship between the Egyptians and the Israelites, right? But here's, here's the interesting, uh, there's, a, there's an old manuscript that actually says that an, an ancient Egyptian text that says that slaves were considered as donkeys. I mean, you're talking about subhuman below what you'd say that's a person. And so Moses is trained, according to Acts, in that kind of environment. And in, and in one day, he goes outside and he decides to challenge the foundations of social, religious, and political philosophy of that nation, who was, by the way, which was, by the way, the most powerful nation in the world. Now, you have in your bulletin, Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 to 15. We're going to notice how Moses actually grew up in Egypt and how life was for him in that environment. Now, Exodus chapter 2, 11 and 12 says, In those days, when Moses, had, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and observed their hard labor and saw an Egyptian man attacking a Hebrew man, one of his own people. He looked this way and that, and he saw that no one was there, and then he attacked the Egyptian and concealed the body in the sand. Now, let me make a few observations here. When Moses goes outside and he, the text says he observes, the idea here is, this verb is actually used twice, but the idea of that verb indicates that Moses was giving attention to what was taking place and somehow he shows compassion and if, as if someone was watching what was taking place in a personal involvement. Now, we can observe something and have no relationship to that action that's taking place or we can actually dive into this and be personally involved. And by observing here, the text is saying that Moses began to be personally involved with the situation. Now, Exodus chapter 2 verse 12 says that he looked this way and that and he saw no one was there. Now, the little child inside of me says that is trouble. And here's what happens. He attacks an Egyptian and conceals his body in the sand. Most likely, this man who was attacked was a taskmaster. And I'm assuming that the oppression that the taskmaster was having over the Israelite was being done in public. Uh, why, why do I say that? <laughs> because 
Every single time you want to show power, you show power in front of somebody. Just like the Romans will make crucifixion a public figure to show their power over the oppressed nation, so would the Egyptians do the same thing. So this is probably a public illustration of the Egyptian mighty power over the Israelites who are being oppressed by this nation. And here's where we come to our first conflict. You have in your notes right there, our first conflict. And the first conflict is between Moses and the Egyptian taskmaster. Now listen to what Chuck Swindle says. He says this, spiritual ends are never achieved by carnal means, which means you cannot reap a spiritual fruit by planting a carnal seed, right? If I plant apple seeds, I cannot expect to have oranges out of that. But Moses is not doing that. Moses made sure that he was not being observed by the people outside, which indicates one thing. This is not an action that's being done out of impulse. He's calculating everything, he's planning everything, and he's premeditating his own actions here. Now, listen to what Acts 7.24 says. It says this, that Moses came to his defense. Whose defense? The Israelite. And avenged the person who was being mistreated by striking down the Egyptian. As we have seen last week, life is extremely important, right? God is the creator of life, and we've seen that the midwives understood the value of life. We see that Moses' mom understood the value of life. We see that Pharaoh's daughter understands the value of life, but then we see this guy who actually is a little confused. So he decides to avenge. And to avenge means to, listen to this, to repay harm with harm. I feel like I'm looking at my kids right now. Uh, Don't do that. It's to repay harm with harm on the assumption that the initial harm, listen to this, that the initial harm was unjustified and therefore revenge is called for. And that's what Moses is doing. Here's the first principle that we see. Principle number one. (laughs) My way is not always God's way. And my way is not always God's way. Moses is doing everything because, do you realize, he wants to do it? Now here's principle number two. And this is hard for me to swallow. Good intentions are not always God's intentions. Have you ever told somebody that you were, that your intentions were great? Oh, I just, I intended to do, to do good. But do you realize maybe those intentions are not God's? Moses is finding himself in this situation. Listen to this. God was making sure that Moses, and this is Stuart, a commentator. He says, God was making sure that Moses would learn that however well-intended his motives were, he could not expect acceptance or success to come automatically, but could expect misunderstanding and opposition even from his own people. Now, this is so true that in Acts chapter 7, verse 25, when Stephen is talking about this event, he says that Moses acted in all those ways, but his people did not understand him. Because good intentions are not always God's intentions. 
And this was wrong. I mean, we can talk about the, the value of life, and, and Pastor David touched on that last week a little bit, about how society wants to dictate things and how the Bible wants to influence society. At the end of the day, what the Egyptians were doing was wrong. It was completely wrong, but what Moses was doing was ungodly and it was evil. Riken says it was wrong because it was not Moses' place to do this. Listen to this. And it was abuse of power. Perhaps this guy who was a taskmaster knew who Moses was. Remember, this guy's on track to maybe be a pharaoh. And so rather than appointing himself as a judge or a jury or as an executioner, he should have worked within the system, and, and I understand that there's a place for that, but not always. It was also wrong because it was not God's will. Now, look with me in Exodus chapter 2, verse 13 to 15. Moses is going to give us three reasons why, after all the things that he's done wrong, he's going to have to flee, okay? And he's going to have to run away for his life. So, Moses goes home after the amazing idea of taking somebody else's life and burying, it, burying the body in the sand. And I don't know about you, but when I think about desert, and I think about sand, I think about moving parts. Unless you dig really deep with a backhoe, it's probably going to show up next day. So he goes home. And next day, the text says, and the next day, listen to this. The text says, Moses, the next day, saw two fellow Hebrews fighting. And his fight, this fight really, literally means more than a, a verbal judgment or a discussion. It means a physical altercation. And he has the amazing idea of asking him a question. And the question is this. Listen to verse 14 and 13. When he went out next day, there were two Hebrew men fighting. So he said to the one who was in the wrong, he's judging again. Listen to what he says. Why are you attacking your fellow Hebrew? Now, child suggests that once again, Moses' concerns is with the issue of justice. And I totally agree with this. But look at verse 14 and 15. The men reply, who made you a judge and a ruler over us? Are you planning to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, surely what I did was, has become known. When Pharaoh heard about this event, he sought to kill Moses. So Moses fled from Pharaoh and settled in the land of Median. Now, it is really interesting here. The response he receives from his fellow Israelites. And the response here foreshadows that in which is going to take place in the future. They're rejecting him now. And later on, 40 years from now, they will reject him again. But the first question that he receives here is, is directed towards his authority. Listen, dude, you, who made you a judge? It's like my daughter telling my youngest daughter, who, who told you that? It's diminishing, right? And this is exactly what the guy's doing. He's diminishing Moses like, dude, forget about it. Who made you a ruler? And he's talking to the guy who's in charge of probably in the future becoming a pharaoh. Like, you're nobody. And the second question is accusatory. Are you going to do this to me as you've done this to the other guy yesterday? Whoa, 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 just a second. Did he do this? Did he try to hide the body? How did everybody know about this? 
because there was one person who was saved and maybe the body even showed up the next day and guess what? Now no Hebrew wants to get the blame for it. So you are going down. Now here, here, here's the interesting point. His undetected actions from yesterday have now been uncovered. The Bible says that one day God's going to uncover all of our sins. He's going to bring it to light. But I bet Moses, when he went to sleep that night, didn't think it was going to be the next morning. Now let me give you three reasons really quickly. Number one, you have in your notes, Moses acted apart from God. I'm going to go through some of the verbs here from the previous verses we just studied, okay? You don't have to go back in there, but listen to why Moses acted apart from God here. He observed, he went outside, he saw an Egyptian, verse 12, verse 13, he looks this way and that way, he questions the Israelites. Now, do you realize that, first of all, it's all about Moses? And number two, do you realize that Moses never looked up? It was, it was this way. It was never this way. Somebody forgot to tell Moses that you cannot deliver God's people apart from God himself. You cannot deliver God's people apart from God himself. And I'll tell you, you cannot do God's will apart from God himself. Number two, Moses rejected. Moses, Moses was rejected by God's people. They clearly questioned him. They questioned his motives. His quest, they questioned his credentials. And their questioning was derogatory and accusatory. And they're looking down on this guy, right? Stewart, someone has sent here, Stewart, who's a commentator, says this is the nature of leadership. Now, I know this is true. But it doesn't always play out this way. But listen to what he says. The best attempts to help are sometimes faulty in themselves. Yet, even when proper and well intended, they can provoke the resentment of those who fail to appreciate how they are being led. Now, we know that God was not in the picture here. As often was the case with Jesus, Moses was here not recognized nor accepted by his own people. And number three, Moses was not only acting apart from God, he was not only rejected by God's people, but he was consumed by fear. Listen, he's afraid that his own people have rejected him. He's afraid that the Egyptians have rejected him. And guess what? Now he's afraid that grandpa, that grandpa is going to kill him. Which brings us to principle number three. Hiding my wrongs will not erase my past. Hiding my wrongs will not erase my past. When I was a little kid, one of my favorite things to do was to go to my grandpa's house, especially in the summer. Okay, I loved going to my grandpa's house. But in the summertime, my parents used to let me um, go for a whole week. Okay, and, and my grandpa had a, he had a, 
a small piece of property and, and he used to have all kinds of trees from oranges. He had grapes, he had guavas and pear and he grew watermelons and he had cows and pigs and chicken. It was amazing. It was like a little kid's dreamland. And so one of those summers, I was probably about 80 years old, eight, not 80. I was eight years old, and, uh, and uh, I, we had just finished lunch. And uh, my, uh, my grandpa used to take a nap every day, and my, uh, my grandma was like, uh, every other day or something like that. But I noticed they were tired that day. And, and right before my grandma went over to take a nap, I looked down and she was, I looked at her and she was walking towards the refrigerator. So she opened the refrigerator and she put the food back in there that we just finished eating. And then she put a box of really yummy chocolate on the bottom drawer. So she closed the door. So my mind automatically goes, I hope grandma goes take a nap right now. So grandma lays down for a nap, grandpa is snoring. I go in there, I grab the box, and I notice that it was a cardboard box, but it was wrapped up in plastic. So I'm like, how am I gonna open this? So I'm, I'm like investigating this thing. So I flip it over and I notice that the bottom, the cardboard part, if I, if I just overlap my fingers, I was able to push that down and open the bottom. So I was like, huh, got it. So I run to the kitchen. I grab a knife that I used to cut the, the, take the peel off of the orange out that was really sharp. So I grabbed the knife, I went in there, I flipped the box over and I put the knife in there. Then I tucked my little fingers in there. I know it's hard to believe I had little fingers once, but I tucked my little fingers in there and I grabbed the chocolate and I put the box back. Did I tell you I like chocolate? So I did that three, four times that week. But every time I went in there, the number of chocolate that I picked out was starting to increase from one to two to three. And so one day I go back and my, 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 my grandpa had a barn on the back and it was like an open barn just with the roof and he's sitting on an old little bench and, uh, and he says, Mike, would you know we got some mice in the house. It's like, and I'm not going to tell you what it is, but he had a, a five-gallon bucket, metal bucket full with a one-gallon uh, of water inside, and there was a mouse in there. Okay? So he's like telling me about mice, and I'm like, yeah, there, there's mice here. So he says, you know what? The mice here are really intelligent. They're actually coming inside of our home. They're able to open the refrigerator. They're able to use a knife and slice the chocolate box from underneath and eat all the chocolate. Well, what I didn't realize is my grandpa was way, way smarter than I was because I ate all but two of the 25 chocolates that were in there. It didn't matter how good of a job I did slicing the box from underneath. You cannot hide that from grandpa. But, but here, here, here's the point. It, it doesn't matter how good of a job Moses did slicing his own way into a situation and trying to cover it back up. God knew it. And, and so you and I cannot hide our wrongs thinking that that's going to erase the past. Now, we laugh about the chocolate story, right? It is funny. Now I pray my kids won't do it, but it is really funny. But you know what? There's consequence of that. I'm telling you that right now, but that, that's impacted my own mind. Why was I hiding things from him? 
Why didn't I ask? I don't ever remember my grandpa saying no. The moral of the story is that hiding my wrongs does not erase what I did, but once, listen to this, once my deeds are uncovered, there's always consequences, and one of them is always the vivid memory of that event. But here's what I want you to know. That despite of your mistakes and Moses' mistakes, God is able to get your mistakes and use his word through the power of the Holy Spirit to propel you towards the future that he wants for you. Amen. Now, Moses acted 40 years too early. Don't we ever do that sometimes? Can you imagine you sitting down to write this about yourself? Really? Now think with me for a second. The consequences for Moses here. Pharaoh wanted to kill him. The Egyptians rejected him. The Hebrews rejected him. He has no family to turn to. He's under the threat of death. He, he does not belong anywhere at this point in his life. He has no place to call home. He's running away for his life. He's, he's probably filled with disappointments, pain, confusion, and absolute fear. And by the way, did I forget to mention that he's now a fugitive? Judith Weierst writes in her book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, the following. I went to sleep with my gum in my mouth, and now there is gum in my hair. And when I got out, got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard. And by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running. And I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Now let me tell you this, when Moses got up that morning, he didn't think he was going to have a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. But it turned out ugly, just like this. And now he needs to run. And he lands in Median. Now, Exodus chapter 2, verses 16 all the way down is the second half of his story. Now, a priest of Median, I'm going to read the text for you, verse 16. A priest of Median had seven daughters, and they came and began to draw water and fill their troughs in order to water their father's flock. When some of the shepherds came and drove them away, Moses came up and defended them, and, they wa and then watered their flock. So when they came home to their father, Real, he asked, Why have you come home so early? They said, an Egyptian man rescued us from the shepherds, and he actually drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, so where is he? Why in the world did you leave the man? Call him so he, can, he may eat a meal with us. Now, Moses heads towards Midian, and uh, the location right here is, is, is not very clear, but we know that Midian was probably around, uh, located in the southeastern of Sinai. It was a dry, it was a desolate place, but without knowing, Moses, guess what? He's going to spend the next 40 years of his life in this place. What he thought he knew did not work. Have you gone through that in your life? What you thought you knew, it did not work. 
Now the Midianites, they were descendants of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 25 verse 2, it says that Abraham had a wife named Keturah, and Keturah had, a, had many children, and one of them was named Midian, okay? They were nomads, they were, they were herdsmen, the Midianites were primarily herdsmen, and they migrated with their livestock from one place to the other, okay? It goes without saying here that Moses' lifestyle is going to change very quickly as he lands in Median at this point. Now, when we get to this point, we have our third and final conflict. And you have in your notes right there, Moses and the violent shepherds. When the shepherds drove the girls away, listen to this. By implication, they're actually using a lot of force here because the term that means to drive away, it's, it's a military term that's used for explicit force. So they're not asking them just, honey, could you move? They're, they're moving them away. Okay? And so Moses steps in and he defends them, which means that he delivers them. Now remember this word, he delivers them. The word's going to be used later in Exodus chapter 14 verse 30 of God delivering the nation of Israel out of the hands of the Egyptians. So it's a very significant term what Moses is actually doing here in this segment. So he defends them and, and, and they go home. There, there's no asking his name. By the way, what's your name? I'm so thankful. There's none of that. There's no gratitude. There's no thank you note coming in the mail for you. They just go home and when they get home, the father gets surprised. It's like, why are you guys home so early? Oh, because, listen to what they say. And I think this is key. They say, an Egyptian helped us. Moses was probably dressed like an Egyptian. He probably smelled like an Egyptian. He probably thought like an Egyptian. He probably spoke like one, just like I do sometimes as a Brazilian. So thanks for paying attention. <laughs> but here's the point, and here's the irony. Listen to this. At this point in his life, he is the only person who thinks he is an Israelite. He's the only person who thinks that he was supposed to be delivering God's people. If God is not in it, don't do it. Principle number four. God often uses our failures to develop a servant's heart. And I would say, in us. The character of Moses here is underscore because he's brave, he loves justice, and he does good things. He takes the side of the weak and the oppressed. But listen to this phrase. These traits will serve him well in the future. Not now. I was thinking just yesterday, do you remember King David? Can you imagine King David out in the, in the desert? His brothers are having fun and he's taking care of the sheep and all of a sudden he's using his slingshot to protect the sheep from other animals. And then he's out there one day and he's like playing his instruments and writing down some songs and having no clue what's going to happen. And one day God's going to use that slingshot to slay a big giant. And God's going to use those words that he has pinned down in his darkest moments perhaps to fill a book, of the, a book in the Bible called the Psalms. 
And God is a God who doesn't waste an opportunity. Even in the midst of his failure. And that's why I believe sometimes God's going to use that. But listen to, listen to this. What amazes me the most about this is that Moses is willing to sacrifice, to leave behind the luxury, the comfort, the security, the identity as an Egyptian in order to identify himself in Egypt with the slaves and now in Median, in Median with the daughters of a priest. I wonder if I would be bold enough to leave behind the things that are comfortable to me. So verse 18, the girls go back home and the father is amused. Rule means um, friend of God. And some of, you, some of you and some of us know him not by that name, but the, by the name Jethro, right? So there's two options here. Uh, and we don't know exactly which one applies, so I'm going to give you both. One of them is that real is not the girl's father, but is Jethro's father. So they're going back into the patriarch of the house, okay? His name means friend of God. Jethro means excellence. So either way how you see it, there's no contradiction here, but they're going back to the same place. And now the girls go back and the father says, where is he? So go call him. And this is what happens, verse 20 to 22, 21 to 22, which provides a less summary of Moses' first 40 years, or second 40-year stage of his life here. The text says that Moses agreed to stay, which means that he's willingly agreeing to dwell in that place, which means he's now for the long haul. He doesn't want the life he used to have one day. Now he's there to stay. And as a result of that, his father-in-law or the priest gives him Zipporah as a wife. Douglas Stewart has says that Moses has become a permanent resident among Midianites in exile. Listen to this. In exile from the land of Egypt as well as the people of his birth. The Lord provide Moses a place to live, a family to raise, a wife to cherish, and is about to provide him a son. And when that takes place, he's going to name him, verse 22, Gershom. And he says, because I have become a sojourner in a foreign land. Gershom simply means an alien. Okay? Now, the irony of this I think is that now, just like the name Isaac, every time you call that name, you will be reminded of something God has done for you. In his situation, he has been banished, not only from the land of Egypt, but also by his own people. Now, I've told you a few things that amaze me about this story, but here's probably one that amazes me the most. Moses, think with me for a moment. Moses went from becoming a leader in Egypt to become, becoming a leader in his own home. Moses went from being somebody to becoming a nobody. Moses went from having authority and fame to working for his father-in-law. And now, if there's somebody working for your father-in-law, I'm not bashing you, okay? But you're talking about 
the most powerful man in the world, and now you're talking about a shepherd. Moses went from living in a royal status to having a shepherd's lifestyle, which, by the way, if you don't know this, to be a shepherd in Egypt was to exercise the worst, to have the worst profession and job possible. Do you remember Jacob when he comes to visit his son Joseph and Joseph tells him before he introduces him to Pharaoh, do not tell him what you do. They don't like people like you here. But he runs back into this situation. And Moses went from having prestige and honor and royalty to only having his basic needs perhaps. But guess what? After all this time, slavery was still there. Slavery was still there. Moses knew that. As he migrated, I can only imagine as he migrated his, his father-in-law's sheep from one place to the other, he saw other nomads coming by and say, Dude, do you remember that place? It is bad. Moses did not have to turn the TV on. He did not have to look at fake news or real news or internet news or whatever you want to call it. It was there. But he had reasons to stay. And let me give you three really quickly. It's in your notes. Moses needed to learn how to become a husband and a father. It's funny that in the New Testament, one of the characteristics of a shepherd, of a pastor, is that he manages his household well. I'm not saying that this is what's taking place here. Moses needed to learn to become a shepherd and a servant. Now, let me just say this to you. Moses will spend an awful lot of time, listen to this, trying to understand why sheep act the way they do. He will spend an awful lot of time as he shepherds his father-in-law's flocks to try to understand why sheep act the way they do. And I wonder why. And lastly, Moses needed to learn how to become dependent upon God. And that's our fifth principle. God often uses that, right? Dependence on God comes in many different forms. And God often uses obscurity, solitude, brokenness, pain, problems, confusion, losses, and discomfort, amongst many other things, to teach us to trust in him and to depend upon him. And that was no different for Moses. Now, here's a final reminder. John Wesley says, I'm no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you and laid aside for you, exalted for you, or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be, let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. We do that because God is good even in the midst of injustices. And we do that because God is our way maker. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for the life of Moses for all the things that he's done 
wrong in his life and for the things that he's done right because you were guiding him and directing him. So Father, I thank you. And I praise you for this day and for this service. And I pray that you would mold us into the image of your son, that we might represent him and that we might honor you. In Jesus' name we pray.